I have been noticing um, a need of mine. I've bought myself my, my first Christmas present already this week um, at, the, uh, at the store as um, my eyes have been fading fast. Yeah. So these are, these are emergency only, but, um, but I do have an appointment this week to see uh, how desperate the emergency is. So, but it's bad enough to where I brought them up here because I might need them. Um, so anyways, they're, they're called old age eyes. That's what I hear. Uh, we're in Advent and we are in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm so excited about this series. Um, the, uh, the fruit of God's Spirit is something that I, for years now, we've done a series, we did a series on this years and years ago at Mountainside. You're going to actually see some pictures that were taken by Megan and Daniel way back when um, and we used for that series. But ever since that, this, this whole um, theological um, reality has been something that has caught my imagination and is, and speaking of which, it's given me eyes to see um, things that um, I just so appreciate about God's activity among us. That when, we, when, we, when we're not so sure whether or not God's moving, when we're not so sure um, whether or not God is um, kind of engaged in any of this business of life, um, these, are, these are clues to just look for. Um, where do you see joy? Where do you see love? Where do you see peace and goodness and faithfulness and patience? Um, because where you see those things, no matter where they are, we see the Spirit of God um, moving. Um, it's almost like uh, the Mr. Rogers um, encouragement. When, when horrible things are going on on TV, he would say, look for the helpers. Look for those who are helping. Um, when, when we're in life and we're wondering about God's activity, I think the fruit of the Spirit invite us to look for the, these fruit. Look for joy. Look for peace. Look for patience. God might be there. So I'm excited about this series. Aaron got a, kind of kicked us off last week with hope. We just, Mountside added hope to the list that Paul gives us in Galatians, kind of like we add words to the songs we sing sometimes. Um, and uh, I got to read through that and um, so thankful for her to kind of kick this off. But the fruit of the Spirit really are about hope because what they are is they are, they are clues to us about the future that we wait for this Advent season. They're clues to us about what God's fullness looks like. God's fullness, when God dwells among God's people, looks like the fruit of the, of, of the Spirit. And so our church is animated by the Spirit. Um, I, uh, I, 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 we get to see demonstrations of love and peace and patience and kindness and all of that stuff in our life together all the time. Um, and any church that, that um, is, is moving and following God and um, doing what churches do, um, the fruit of the Spirit is um, at play. The fruit of the Spirit is on demonstration. Um, and so um, it's also super interesting to think about um, the fruit of the Spirit in light of um, the garden stuff that we've been doing and the garden stuff that a lot of people in our church for years and years have been passionate about. But I want to read this passage to kind of get us started in Galatians. It's all in the context of freedom that we read about this fruit of the Spirit. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to close yourself off to other people. We'll, we'll define flesh that way. Don't, don't use your freedom to close yourself off from others. 
Um, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Further down it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the things I love about the imagery of the, the fruit of the Spirit in the, is that it uses this horticultural, horticultural imagery. Um, and it does that um, to describe these dispositions, these, these fruit are dispositions to act in certain ways that are rooted deeply in a community. Um, it's hard to experience peace, jo joy, love, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit, if you're not with other people. Not impossible, but it's much more challenging, and I think unlikely. So these are dispositions that we live out together in our community with one another. And they reflect God's Spirit among us, and they also sustain our common life. Um, they keep us going when we see and experience joy together, love together, faithfulness together. Um, and these horticultural metaphors are helpful. One, they're just all throughout the Bible because um, it was an agrarian society. But two, um, they underscore the importance in the Christian life of both work and grace. So the fruit of the Spirit are that. They are gifts from God. They are not possible without God granting them to us. But they are also things that we, we work at and open ourselves up to. Um, and today I want us to just consider a little bit, what does it look like to cultivate love as the first fruit today, uh, or the week two fruit today? Um, what does it look like for us to cultivate and work so that we might receive this gift of love? And what, what is this, this gift of love that is, that is being talked about here? Um, and then thirdly, much like the church, flowers and plants grow and develop in a very complex environment. That's why Kristen does um, seminars on the bugs in the garden and how to make sure the bugs don't eat up your plants or how to um, fertilize in appropriate ways, you know, and she, she's a master of this complex environment that is our community garden. It, the same is true as we try to cultivate the fruit of the spirit in our life. We live in a complex environment. We have cultural forces, cultural realities that make it difficult sometimes to cultivate these fruit. And so it, it, it would be wise for us to consider those too. A couple of passages to guide our, our, um, our kind of our look at this, this word love. Um, you know, think about the word love. We've done this experiment before, but I love the Lakers. Um, I love them, and they are on fire right now. Um, I love cinnamon rolls at Christmas. Um, I love my kids. I love you all. Um, I love Ari. I love my parents, I love baseball, I love reading, I love music. Like, we use the same word to describe very different feelings and emotions and commitments um, in our lives. The Greeks used four different words to describe this. We chose one. So we kind of got to parse out. I, I kind of think this is a little different than my love for the Lakers, you know, maybe. Um, <laughs> So, so what does this love, what is the shape of this love? John 15 says that, Jesus says, My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit. And in this way, prove that you're my disciples. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Um, there's something about being connected to God in a worshiping community that shapes, shapes our love. Um, in Luke, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you'll have a great reward. You'll be acting the way children of the Most High act. For God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. The shape of this love pushes beyond boundaries that we might describe as the limits of love. Does that make sense? We might describe where we think love begins and ends in particular ways based on who we like, who we connect with, who's done nice things for us, what we value. Jesus is describing a love that pushes beyond those boundaries to even include enemies that far. Um, and that's why we can't do it on our own because that's not a natural thing to do is to move beyond all the way to people who might hurt us, um, all the way to people who might be against us. Um, but to recognize the love that we're talking about today goes that far. It goes way further than, than we could ever muster up on our own. Um, praise God for that. Um, so some aspects of God's love, and this is where the glasses could end up being helpful. We'll see. Um, uh, first of all, God's love is um, completely unmerited. Um, it's completely unmerited. Whew, yeah, let's see. It's got to be the lighting. That's what it's got to be. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 says this, however, God is rich in mercy. God brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did. Wrong. <laughs> did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You're saved by God's grace. God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to allow future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. There's, there's nothing about God's love for us, for this world that we're a part of, for our neighbors and our enemies that is merited. It is just abundantly given. Um, no strings attached. Um, secondly, God's love is steadfast. Just like there's nothing we can do to earn God's love, there's nothing we can do 
that God would not love us. Um, we might be on this kind of subconscious journey to try to, to, to prove that wrong at times. Um, but the scriptures say there is, there is nothing that we can do to be outside and separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and so for some of us, that's just really good news today because we've done things this week that we're like, man, that was a regret. Big, small, anywhere in the middle. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. There's nothing we can do. God's love is steadfast. And for others of us, um, there, there is nothing... Um, God's love is relentless. God's love um, is with us. Um, and, and there's just nothing we can do to, to forfeit that. Um, and we just need to welcome it um, and open ourselves up to it. Um, Romans chapter 8, I got to read this verse. Um, I too, unbeknownst, didn't talk with Brad about this, but I too got to participate in the funeral of a, of a dear friend this week um, who died too young, and um, it was really heavy and hard. Um, and got to read um, these promises that I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers, nor principalities nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of God's creation um, is able to separate us from God's love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, God's, God's love, thirdly, is it's a suffering love. Um, God does not love from a distance. God's love, this Advent season, we remember the incarnation. God's love um, enters into the very fabric of human life. Um, um, among the poor, um, on the margins, in a, in a place where um, the hotels were full and two travelers needed a place to stay. That's where God chose to dwell. Um, God doesn't always fix our suffering. God doesn't always change our suffering. The mysteries of life um, are that we will suffer. The mystery of life is that we will go through hard times. Um, but the gospel and Advent season and the fruit of God's spirit is that God is with us in, in that suffering. Um, and sometimes we need one another to remind us of that because we're, we don't see that. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit are so often nurtured best within a community like this. Where we can remind one another, yeah, I see your suffering. I see what you're going through. And I proclaim, even if you don't feel it always, that God's Spirit is with you in that. Um, Some of these are, are, are somewhat linked, but God's, God's love knows no bounds. Um, there's no boundary of time, space, human construction, social construction that can separate us from God's love. And finally, um, 
the, maybe the defining feature of God's love is that God's love is other-directed. It moves from God towards other people um, and communities and even God's, God's creation. Um, in 1 John, there's just some amazing, amazing um, writing on, on God's love. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, he's a liar because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. And earlier in 1 John um, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. Um, I, uh, I was participating in a prayer breakfast this week, or a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to someone afterwards who came up to me, and he was just sharing um, a little bit about how moved he was by the whole gathering. And just how he, he just said, Josh, I, I just, I'm just overwhelmed with the reality that life is such a gift. Um, this is a friend of mine, and he said to me, Josh, I was a gay man in the 1980s. I shouldn't be here. That's what he said. I shouldn't be here. But I am. And I'm so thankful um, for this gift that is life. I don't, this, I don't know if my phone heard our conversation or not, but um, like a couple days later, uh, an article came across my, my newsfeed. Um, don't get stuck on that. Don't let that weird you out. This sermon is it's too loaded with good stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was the story of a woman named Ruth Coker Burke. Some of you may have heard of her. Um, Ruth Coker Burke in 1984 was a 25-year-old single mom and she was, had a friend who was in, in the hospital with cancer. And she was in the hospital visiting this friend over and over and over for months and months and months. And while she was there, she noticed a room. And the room had a red bag over the door. And she was kind of, it kind of caught her attention. Um, and... From time to time, she would see the nurses go up and literally draw straws before they would enter the room. Um, and so she began to realize, oh, this is probably a patient with what, what is called AIDS. Um, it was such a new thing back then. It's hard for us to, to put ourselves back there. Some of us can do it maybe more easily than others. But it was such a scary, scary and, and unknown um, condition. And so she would watch them draw straws, and then the one who got the short straw would get all decked up and walk into the room and do what they needed to do and then leave. And finally, her curiosity got the most of her, and one day she just walked right into the room 
And she sat down and she met this, this man who had AIDS and who was dying. And she began to talk to him and, and he said to her, I just, I want to see my mom. And so she said, okay. And she got up and she walked out of the room and the nurse approached her and said, did you go in there undressed? Um, and she's like, yeah. And kind of reprimanded her a little bit. And she said, okay, but you know what? He, he wants to see his mom. Can we contact his mom? And the nurse said, he's been in there for six weeks. His, mom, his mom's not coming. The stigma then um, was so, so strong. Um, she finally, she worked and worked, and she got the phone number of, of this man's mom from one of the nurses. And she called this person's mom. Um, HIPAA violation, I know. But um, <laughs> And she called this person's mom, and she said, hey, you know, I'm, I've been meeting with your son. He would love to see you. And this, this woman just hung up. And so she's feisty. She called back, and she said, okay, if you don't talk to me when he dies, I'll... I'll put his obituary in your local newspaper and I'll put the cause of his death. And so she talked to her. Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, the family never came. A, few gener a generation prior, Ruth's um, mom was arguing ferociously with Ruth's uncle. And... They, this is a common occurrence, and Ruth's mom had finally had it, and she thought to herself, you know what, I will not lie next to my brother when I die in the family cemetery. And so she went, and Ruth's mom bought 262 plots in the cemetery that their family um, had historically been buried in, guaranteeing that her brother and his family would never be buried next to her. Um, fast forward, uh, this man that Ruth had been with, um, Ruth had recently inherited 261 plots of um, the cemetery because her mom had died. Um, and she decided that she was going to give this friend of hers a proper burial. And so she ordered a clay pot she put his remains in there, and she buried him next to her father in the cemetery because she knew, A, that she had to know where she had done this in case somebody, you know, wanted to get the remains from the family, and B, she knew that her dad would be very supportive and proud of the work that she was doing, and so she buried this man next to her dad. Word got out about her, um, as the story goes. And people began to contact her who, who were dying of AIDS or whose loved ones were dying of AIDS because they knew that she was one who would care for, um, for them. And so one after another, she would come alongside people who most of society would not. Um, she would help them with paperwork and medical care, she would sit with them, um, she would touch them. People ask her, were you afraid? Were you afraid? And she said, I was. And I just prayed to God that me or my daughter would not get sick. And he answered my prayers, that's what she said. Um, 
oh, she, she estimates that she walked with, in, in 10 years, um, over 1,000 people um, who ultimately would die of AIDS prior to the medicines and treatments that we have today. Um, over three dozen people are buried in that family cemetery um, and given proper burials um, because that was, that was the work that she did. Um, unmerited, steadfast, suffering love that knows no bounds, that is directed towards others. What a powerful image of the fruit of God's spirit in a time that was like Advent, scary and uncertain um, and, and seemingly dangerous. Um, this is a picture of her. Um, she says, and this may have happened, I noticed a, a fundraiser that, that the cemetery had raised quite a bit of money for, but she said, in 1984 it started, they just kept coming and coming, and she said that she would like to have these words on a plaque in the cemetery. They knew they would be remembered, loved, and taken care of, and that someone would say a kind word over them when they died. This, this is the fruit of God's spirit. Um, this is a risky, other-directed love that knows no bounds um, and that is steadfast. Don't put it on your to-do list yet, mountainside. Welcome it as the kind of love that God has for us. Welcome it as the kind of love that God has for you. Um, it's this kind of love. Um, it knows no bounds for us and you. It's steadfast for us and for you. Um, it's unmerited um, for all sorts of reasons that we would be really good at naming um, about ourselves. Um, but God's love moves towards us like this, like this kind of love that God mustered up with Ruth Burke. Um, let's sit with that for a moment. Um, it's also the kind of love that is brought to life in our neighborhoods and communities, that when we go from this place, we are invited to step into and be a part of. Sometimes it might mean just seeing it happening and going, I want to go be a part of that. Sometimes it might feel like something we're working at and mustering up and offering to other people. But let's not forget, it is grace. It is not something we can do and check off. It is something that has been poured out by God through the Spirit that we can, we can be a part of. Um, it's not always the easiest kind of love. Um, Ruth reflects. She had a, a seizure five years ago or a stroke and, and she wonders if the stress of those 10 years had anything to do with that. She wonders in her writing if her life would look different and she would be, quote unquote, further along had she not 
given a decade of her life to that work. This kind of love is not always a story of a hero. Um, it costs. Um, but it's a witness of God's kingdom, of God's presence in our world. It's the, it's the, it's the presence that we, we wait for this Advent season in all its fullness. Um, so let's get good opening ourselves up, remembering this love, and receiving it. Um, let's get good at noticing love pop up in our community, training our eyes to see it. I didn't plan this, but that works. Um, um, let's get good at allowing God to muster up in us the courage that it takes to participate in this kind of love and in, in, in our communities. There's all kinds of obstacles to this kind of love. Um, we live in a culture where we want to consider every aspect of our lives through self-interest. If I love like that, if I get involved in that, how is that going to help me? How's that going to hurt me? That's the environment we're trying to grow this fruit in. We live in an environment where we put a price on everything. That every single thing has some kind of monetary value to try to find its way in the economy of our world. That is an obstacle to this kind of fruit, this kind of love. We contract relationships. I've told the story before of the wedding I did where I went through the vows and said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And the person said, for richer, for richer. And so I repeated, well, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And they said, for richer, for richer. And you could hear a pin drop at this wedding. This is real. This is the water we swim in. We contract relationships even to the most sacred of ones. Um, but there are resources here that might kind of get us started at cultivating this kind of love. Um, there's resources in this gathered place, not necessarily for the sake of this place. It will sustain our life together. But there's resources here that we can learn and be formed by and cultivate love so that we can go out and participate in this kind of radical love that we was demonstrated by Ruth Burke. Pay attention to others. Very simple. Give attention. We even use a monetary word there, didn't we? Um, give attention to people. Um, we do that in this room. Um, we see who's coming and going. On our best days, we stop and we we give some, some space and notice. Um, I couldn't help but hear the babies praying while we were praying. Little fussing. Um, Ari jumps up, I'm guessing, to go offer services of holding. Um, and remembering my youngest son, Luke, who's now this high, being held in a similar way by Becky in the back and Alicia years and years ago 
just paying attention. Oh, that parent probably could use a spell. Look at Cannon with my pay in the back right now. Um, paying attention to one another. I think we can cultivate love. Um, in this gathering, we receive and give graciously. Kevin wasn't looking for this, but he told me he needs to figure out how to make bread without staying up late and waking up early and so they could stay awake in the sermon. He's with me, though. Good job, Kevin. <laughs> but he stayed up late and he woke up early so we could have bread on our, on our table. We give and we receive graciously. It sustains our life together so that we might go and bear witness to the fruit of God's Spirit in the world and in our workplaces and in our households and in our neighborhoods. Um, this Advent, as we wait, let's open ourselves up to be giving and receiving with one another. Um, we, we practice sustaining stewardship around here. More now than ever with this building. Um, we sustain things. We steward them. We work together. Um, that makes us rub shoulders together. That makes us get to know each other. The wonderful things about each of us, and the more we do it, the shadow sides and harder parts to love as well. Um, and we, get, we do that here so that we can practice, and we can experience the fruit of God's Spirit, um, and we can move into that love in other spaces and domains of our life. Um, I, I'm so looking forward to this series. Um, we're going to be looking at joy next week. Misty's going to guide us in that. Um, peace, patience, kindness. Don't look at the schedule and go, ooh, I want to avoid that one because I, I might, it might be for me, you know. Um, <laughs> What I want to do is I want to pray. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. And we're going to sing and while we wait for the kids. Just to maybe, we'll sing one verse and then we'll, we'll get to the table and the kids will join us. What? Whatever. whatever. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we thank you for these gifts that are your fruit. Of your will for this world. Of which we're a part. We thank you for these signs of your presence with us. God, help us to love. Help us to love like you love. And help us to do that, God, by receiving and welcoming your love for us. This Advent season, God, may we sense your love. May we, no matter our, our situation in life, no matter what we're thinking about, what we're worried about, what we're sorry about, what we're feeling stuck in, help us to feel your love, God, and to, to, to receive it today. Help us to love ourselves, how you've made us. It's hard for us to do sometimes, God. 
And out of that, God, we, we know that you'll move us towards love of others. We know you will because you have, and we're thankful for it. God, this Advent season in the busyness and the shopping and the beautiful traditions and the, and the family navigation, help us to look for your fruit. When we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling stressed or, or just have the gloom that sometimes the holidays can bring, help us to pause and look for your joy, your peace to move there. And so God, we sing to you, we worship you, we welcome our children back in when they come. Prepare us for this table, we pray. Amen. Amen.